Winston Churchill once said, the pessimist sees difficulty in every opportunity. The optimist sees the opportunity in every difficulty. Get ready to be inspired. This is the Big Fish Cares Podcast. Big Fish Cares Podcast. Whether it's business, life, financial, relationships, we're sharing stories and journeys to help inspire you to be optimistic and to take action. No matter the hurdle in life, you can do it, and we're here to help. Welcome to the Big Fish Cares Podcast, and here's your host, Benny Fisher. So what happens when you mix an entrepreneur with a beer lover? Oh, you get a podcast called The Entrebrewer. Got uh, the host of the show, Adam McChesney, also founder and uh, general partner of the St. Height Digital St. Louis franchise for digital marketing. That's the boring part of your job, I know. But That's the, the boring exciting part. The exciting part's the podcast, right? It is, it is. Yeah, that, that is accurate. So what have you been up to, man? What do you? Uh, so let's talk about the podcasting a little bit, because that's kind of like I just did your show not that long ago. I know the, the it's, it's going to be out by the time the viewers listen to this one. Um, cause you're right, right around the same episode count, I think as I am, you know, right in the, like the sixties or fifties or something like that. So what was kind of the, uh, thinking behind that? What, what made you want to start that? So I got back into entrepreneurship in July, 2020 full time. And at that point, everybody had been talking about, you really needed a podcast to help out your business, help out your personal brand, all those different things. And at the time, I was I was drinking a lot, so I was like, "What what better could be to have a podcast called the Entrepreneur Podcast, where we have a happy hour style podcast? I do it in studio, and I just drink, or I do it remotely at the time, and uh, just drink beers with other entrepreneurs and talk about their entrepreneurial journey." Well, I didn't do it back in July or August of 2020. I waited about a year and a half because I had the uh, you know analysis by paralysis and. Finally got uh, kicked in the teeth by my buddies. Like, dude, you got to start this. I'm opening up a studio here in St. Louis. We'll give you access to the studio, and you just promote our stuff. And started started thinking about the Entrebrewer podcast, and and probably not uh, happy hour style is the way that I wanted to uh, be known as because I had grown up a little bit in that time. I'm actually now a little over six months sober, so I'm glad that. Isn't that interesting? That's ironic. I'm glad that I uh, that I, that I didn't go that route, but. The idea is is that I've talked with so many entrepreneurs, I'm connected with some amazing people, and everybody's story is just a little bit different. Even if you have the same type of upbringing or whatever the situation might be, there's something that made you into the entrepreneur that you are today. And so our tagline is entrepreneurs aren't born, they are brewed. And it's been really fascinating. It's been an amazing journey. I've interviewed some incredible people like yourself, and it's just it helps me become a better communicator, helps me get better at asking questions and just doing what I love to do, which is talking about business and learning more about people. So what's the, what's the mix that made you who you are today? What's your, uh, what's, your, what's your mix? So I grew up in a family of entrepreneurs, but I, I had no idea what running a business or entrepreneurship was actually like. My dad uh, still is a lawyer, but he was partners at three different firms uh, throughout m- my time of growing up, and we went up and down as his business did. I just never knew that that was really the reason behind it when I was younger because I didn't understand it. My grandparents uh, still run and operate a very famous bakery here in St. Louis that a lot of people that are on my mom's side of, of the family 
uh, still actively work in the business. And so I, I was always around hardworking people. You have to work for everything that you get type of thing. You have to earn it. But I just never knew the aspect of entrepreneurship. So they were like, my dad's like, don't be a lawyer. Go to college. Get a, get a good degree and then go work for somebody else. Like, this stuff isn't fun. My grandparents were like, go to college. Get a job. All those things. So I did that. But I realized, like, I still had that inkling to be an entrepreneur from my from the time that I was young all the way up until the time I actually made it happen. I just didn't know what I wanted to do because I knew I didn't want to run a bakery and I knew I didn't want to go to law school and become a lawyer. But they didn't tell you why, though. They just said, don't do it, right? They didn't really get into all the details because they probably thought, oh, you're a kid. You're not going to really understand. You're just, you know. But what, what do you think they really meant? Like, like knowing what you know now about business, knowing what you know about your grandparents and your dad and stuff like that, what do you think they actually meant when they said, don't go do what I did? I think my dad meant, don't be a lawyer and do it. <laughs> I think that, that, that probably explains his route of doing it. And I don't know if he would do it again if he had the opportunity to do it, but I believe he's very entrepreneurial-minded, so he probably would have been an entrepreneur in some sort of way, but I think it was tainted by being a lawyer and doing it, my grandparents just, that's all they ever knew. And so I think to a degree, they were like, we don't know anything different. You have more opportunities uh, with where you're at today than we had. Like they basically had to, to start that from scratch when they were really, really young. So I think they were just thinking that there was more out there um, for me specifically. And, and that's probably why they said that. Yeah, because I'm assuming with them, you know, they got into the bakery business because they probably had to, and and they just they just perfected it, you know, because they had to, right? But like if they had a clean slate and a fresh checkbook and a fresh start at the American dream, right? They they might have picked another profession, right? That maybe not as involved as so many labor laborious hours, getting up at three o'clock in the morning, going home at three o'clock in the morning. <laughs> Yeah, I'm sure the I'm sure the bakery business never stops. <laughs> my grandpa uh, my grandpa's eighty five and he still wakes up at four AM. Yeah. Gotta get them gotta get them bagels out, baby. Oh yeah. He's there. <laughs> gotta get the donut donuts and bagels don't make themselves, man. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't I don't know you know, I always thought the Dunkin' Donuts just always had elves or something like that, <laughs> but uh, they don't. And then your dad, do you think it was from the from the lawyer side, always seeing the bad side of everything, always seeing like the liability side and like all the like the the, the litigious stuff out there. That it's like, man, because that's sometimes all I see as a business owner is all the all the bad things that are about to happen to me. And like I used to see all the good things, mm. but then after a while, it's like, oh, we can't do that because this might happen. It's like almost like I'm not as uh, optimistic as I once was. <laughs> I think his was really around like the lifestyle that the business created for him. So looking back and having conversations with him now, I realized that he created a life around his business and not creating a, a life that he built for himself that his business was a part of. And so that led to my parents getting divorced. That led to a lot of different financial issues and troubles that, again, I never understood when I was younger because they weren't going to tell me that stuff. Now that I'm older, now that I'm an entrepreneur, now that I can resonate more with my dad, I think the law firm space is just very, very uh, it's cutthroat, obviously. So he did personal injury for most mm. of his time. Okay. And so it's like when an accident would happen or anything like that, like you got to always have to be at the pulse 
of what's going on in order to get that big opportunity. And he had some big opportunities. We won some big cases that kept the company and then kept him afloat for a while, um, as well as our family. But there's that roller coaster of that up and down stuff, and you're so consumed sometimes in your business. And I think, obviously, I can't understand what that's like um, as I'm not a lawyer, but I think that had more to do with it than just the bad part about running a business and litigation and things like that. Well, especially on that side, the personal injury side, I mean, you're, you're waiting for somebody to get hurt, you know, which is like a weird thing to like have to wait on, right? You know what's going to happen, right? It's like, it's all your roofing buddies, right? They're waiting on a hailstorm, right? Yeah. And like, that's just no way to like, <laughs> like master your life because like, oh, as soon as a hailstorm comes, oh, sorry, kids, I can't go on vacation. Dad's yeah. got to go to Arkansas. <laughs> that's that's vac- <laughs> Vacation's going to be Arkansas, right? Like, <laughs> or yeah. Texas, hey, we're all going to Dallas for, for vacation this year. Yeah. But uh, no, that's so interesting, man. So what's your journey been like over the last, you know, 10, 15 years? You know, I know you worked in corporate America a little bit before you took the plunge. Um, tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so I got into medical device sales almost right out of college. I worked at a very small company here in St. Louis and then ended up going to a company called ResMed. Um, So they're the number one manufacturer for CPAP equipment, masks, ventilators, all that good stuff. And so I ended up managing about a $25 million a year territory uh, for about three years here in Missouri and worked my way up that ladder pretty quickly and uh, was literally everything I could ever imagine. was an amazing company with literally the leader in, in the innovation space within that, uh, within that industry. But I, I got promoted nine months after starting there, and I was the, the youngest key account manager there by about 10 years. And so I thought this was going to take me five years to do what I did in nine months, and then I kept thinking about the next promotion and the next thing because that's how my mind is wired. And it was a little bit more money, but a lot more responsibility, a lot more travel. I mean, I was gone 75% of the time as it was, and I just didn't want to trade my, my time for money. And so back in 2018, I started looking for ways to make money online. I came across an ad that taught me how to build out digital real estate. So essentially, I was the landlord. I would build websites, rank them to the first page of Google, and then I would sell phone calls and either like a flat fee per month, a commission deal, or per lead to contractors. So I built up about 200 websites. And then in the pandemic, realized, okay, medical device sales is coming to a halt. Now I have time to build out more websites, do all those different things. So I basically had two years worth of case studies for me to jump in and go do it full time. So I did that in July 2020 and then started really promoting what I was doing. Whereas before it would be kind of behind the scenes and people were like, hey, I love this concept, but can you do it for my company and my brand instead of you being the landlord? And I was following the money. So I said, yeah, sure. And then I kind of turned into a traditional agency and dwindled down the amount of websites that I had that I owned. I sold a bunch of them off. I turned two of them into companies. So I own an auto glass company here in St. Louis, and I also own a landscape design company here as well. And I don't know anything about either of those industries, but I know how to rank websites the first page of Google, and we've built out companies from there. So it's been a roller coaster of a ride. And, uh, yeah, now I'm at Height Digital. I'm an owner-partner there and uh, doing some amazing things over there. I have a team now, finally, so it's not just myself. 
Yeah, well, that's that's the best part. You know, that's step one though is when you have a business, you're like, yeah, all right, we got to maintain ourselves. Yeah, you can't you can't do that. We're definitely not going to be able to maintain others. Mm-hmm. That's pretty cool that you're a marketing guy that actually owns two other companies. You don't know anything about the actual trade. Um, that part's got me pretty excited. Um, I feel like that's me. You know, I, although I do know a lot more about roofing only because I've been around roofing. But I'm definitely not born a roofer, I can tell you that. Um, <laughs> my uncle was a roofer, so I got to learn a lot about roofing. But, uh, yeah, it's not the most fun part of the job, I can tell you that. Um, so what do you uh, – are you married, kids? What's your what's your personal life look like? How long have you been married? Yeah, so I've been married to my wife, Delaney, three and a half years. Uh, we have a dog, Georgie, that's about two years old and no kids right now. So what was that like, that transition with your wife going from like, you know, um, because she was with you in the beginning, right? Like when you were still like, you know, Mr. Medical Sales guy, nice, cushy job, probably easy money, probably happy-go-lucky. What was that transition like? It's like, oh, you know what, I'm just going to quit that 200K a year job and I'm going to go try to wing it over here and like my own thing. Yeah, so she's actually seen the whole roller coaster. So we met right after I graduated college, and I took about six months before I actually went and got a job. So I was literally living in my mom's basement, and I was just like, I don't want to grow up. I'm going to try to go work out and end jobs and just basically live another year out. And so she met me then, saw me get into medical device sales, and then saw that trajectory, and then saw me go to the bottom again. So She's like, Adam, you do this to yourself. I'm like, yeah, no, that's kind of what entrepreneurs typically do from time to time is they go chase stuff and see what happens. But we were, uh, we bought our dream home with my W-2 from the medical device company in May of 2020. And then six weeks later, I quit my job. So I literally had my back against the wall. I had about six months worth of savings built up after just paying a bunch of money for a down payment on our dream home. And I uh, was basically like, this is sink or swim. I was confident in myself. She trusted me. We had to switch benefits over to her uh, because she's still working. She and, was the breadwinner. Uh, she was the breadwinner for the time being. She was the breadwinner. And I ended up not paying myself a dime for almost nine months. I was just reinvesting everything back in the business, trying to grow and scale my team. Uh, scale my team. And I invested a lot in mentorship, in masterminds, ended up hiring my first business coach, uh, all within my first year in business, because I realized that I don't know a lot of stuff, and if I want to be successful, I have to go find and get access to information. We said a couple of things there that I think are good. First of all, that the wife saw you go up and down, right? So it was... It was probably a little easier, you know, for the, on the second time around for her to see to trust you. Yeah. Um, what was it? Well, the other thing that you did that was smart, which I don't know if you did this on purpose or not, is we got the dream house before you started the entrepreneur journey because they, they really probably want to see both those W-2s coming in, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that was probably, I don't know if you did that on purpose, but that was well played, well, very well timed. And as soon as you close on the deal, it's see a job. <laughs> yep. Yeah, as long as, you know, as long as the payments get made, the bank don't care anymore. So um, that was smart. And uh I remember doing that too. About a year after I got, I was able to get the financing on the house. I remember buying the dream house, and I was like, "Phew, got that snuck in." Because you never know, entrepreneurial life—you never know what what your ears are going to look like. That's for sure. Um, what uh, 
what's been the biggest challenge for you, I guess, you know, over the last, you know, let's just say since you started this entrepreneurial journey, um, you ended up like your, your grandparents and your dad, uh, a little different conventional path, I'm sure, than they took, but um, what's been the biggest challenge for you so far? I think is getting out of my own way and understanding that my ego is the greatest thing as well as potentially one of the, the biggest crutches and hurdles to my success. And what I mean by that is one of the reasons why I want to start my own company is I was experiencing so many what I felt like were issues in the sales process in the medical device company. And I was really good at selling, but I'm like, I really want to have more control over the whole process and the customer experience. And when crap doesn't happen on time or, uh, you know, we're told that something's going to happen and it doesn't for a customer, I personally took that burden on myself. And so when I went out and started my own company, I'm selling everything, but I'm also doing all the work. So I have a ton of control. I'm basically, you know, keeping my arms, you know, over everything. But I wasn't able to scale. I wasn't able to do any of the stuff that I had set out to do in my business because I'm so afraid to give up control. I'm so afraid to trust the process and build scalable systems because I wanted to be everything. And I just created another job for myself. I actually didn't have a business up until about a year and a half ago. And so I think for me, that was the biggest lesson that I've learned that, that companies and businesses the biggest assets are the, t- uh, the teams, the processes, and the systems, and they very rarely have to do with the CEO or the owner. We're just the person that kind of brings everything together with the team, but us as an individual, like that's not sellable. And I always thought that it was, and I had to learn that the hard way, almost when it was too late, but I figured it out. Well, what do you mean by it was almost too late? Like, Tell me about what happened to where you thought it was almost going to be too late. Well, so I had 30 clients and I was doing essentially all of the work and I was reaching a breaking point before I made the transition to pivot over to height and I was just ready to say, screw this, like it's, I'm not making as much money as I had been, I'm working from the time I would go up to the time I went to bed, I was drinking a lot, I wasn't working out, it's like I could easily go back to medical device sales and make more money with less effort, like why am I doing this? The reason why I got into entrepreneurship and why I started the business was because I wanted freedom. Freedom to work when I want to, where I want to, how I want to, and with who I want to. I didn't have any of that. I guess I had freedom to work when, but it was essentially almost the entire time. So I was getting ready to throw in the towel because I'm like, this isn't what I set out to do, and this isn't this isn't freedom. Did you have a new appreciation for what being an entrepreneur was like? like? Or did you think it was going to be easier than what it was? Or did you? Yeah, I definitely a new outlook and appreciation would probably be the best way to explain it. I didn't, I didn't think it was going to be easy. Um, I, I knew it was going to be difficult. I think I didn't understand the true, the trueness of the the highs being as high as they are and the lows being as low as they are. Think I thought that hey you're gonna have wins you're gonna have losses and then you're gonna have everything in the middle but I've had some incredibly high highs and I've had some incredibly low lows and it's not about um, it's not just about understanding those it's about how you operate and how you overcome both the highest of the highs and the lowest of the lows and how you rebound from both of those things and make that the new high and the new low, but trying to balance those things out is something I wasn't anticipating. 
Well, you're a sales guy. At the end of the day, I mean, you've, you've been in sales. I was a sales guy before I came an owner, and uh, we owned our first job, right? It's basically the only thing that we owned. And then going from salesman to CEO, that's a whole different, like, it's a whole, it's like a whole different sport. Uh, <laughs> it's like, it's a whole different sport. I can't explain it. I never thought I was. I didn't know what it was either. Yeah. Like, I just thought, oh, I can crush it. I've, I can overcome objections. I can recover from rejection. I can get back up and do it again. You know, in sales, it was like almost like it was almost like easy. All right, like every time, you know, I get a, I get two no's, I'll get a yes. You know, two no's, I'll get a yes. You know, I'll close at thirty three percent, and I'll just, you know I'll try to keep going a little bit better. But at the end of the day, yeah, for every two no's, I get a yes. Yeah, I'll be, I'll be average, right? And so, and as being a business owner, it's the same type of like punches in the face, the same type of high fives, different. They're more what I call dimensional. In sales, it's pretty much just you know the customer or like product issues. There's really you know, but I feel like ownership is like like four or five dimensional because I just feel like it affects so much. Can you? Is there any stories that you'd be willing to share of something that that like really happened that really just punched you in the gut? Like something that you're like, man, like this story was crazy. I had to overcome this. And maybe something that you're able to share with some of the people listening at home. Because not everybody listening to this podcast should be an entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. I'm going to say that. I'm going to say that to you guys in the back that you can't hear real well. Um, I know you guys are probably listening to the show because I've inspired you to, you know, flap your own wings and go be your own boss. And guys like me and Adam may make it look easy from if you just click on Facebook for a minute or two. But he's going to tell you a story of why it's not, it's not all it's got out to be. So there's not like any one specific story, but it was kind of like the generalization of my first nine months is I had started investing in in masterminds and learning from people and everybody's like, hey, you need to build processes and systems from day one. You need to have core values. You need to have all of those foundational things in your business from day one because your business isn't going to be able to scale. Well, I'm the sales guy that came in and said, you don't need all those things. I can outsell anything and sales will cure any problem within the business. Well, literally for nine straight months, every single time I would sell somebody a website or search engine optimization or Google ads, I was literally reinventing the wheel every single time. So I didn't have an onboarding form. I was just a typical email with a random link to a Google Drive where they could submit stuff. And I was literally crushing myself because when I started to hire people and when I made that transition over to Hyatt where we were getting everything over, we were getting logins, like I literally had to go email to email for every single client that I had to get their login information and get it over to our team, to get the website login in. Like I had nothing systematized and processed. So like the results, the end product, everything like was fine. But it's the work that went into just getting it to that point that was like the reason behind why I was working 18, 16, 17, 18 hour days and not sleeping and driving myself insane. I'm like, what was I thinking? And everybody told me, do core values. It took me a year and a half to implement core values in our company because I thought they weren't necessary. We didn't start building processes until a year and a half in our company. We started to like literally do all the things that if I would have just done them day one, I don't even know where I would be um, because we've had so much success even having that speed bump in the way. But I think just people overcomplicate business and especially if you are a salesperson, you think that just because you can sell, it can cure literally every single other problem in your business. 
if you don't have core values, if you don't have processes and systems in place, like you just don't have a business, and it doesn't matter how much you sell, the more you sell, which is where I kind of got to that breaking point, the worse the problem was. If you're not selling a whole lot and you don't have processes and systems, like, okay, it's not a big deal. But when you're bringing on a lot of clients and you're growing and you're scaling, the more you sell, the more it hurts. So, I mean, you seem like a smart guy. You know, you come from a good pedigree of, you know, business people. I mean, you even went to college for all crying out loud, you know, got a degree, right? Like, so why didn't you just, why didn't you just do it? Like, why didn't you like put all that stuff in place? Like, I was, I would say like delusion. I was naive and thinking that I didn't have to. I never really wanted like a big team of people. That was never my thing. So I thought it wasn't important. And then I realized it doesn't matter if you, if it's just yourself, if you don't have those things in place, like you're going to, you're literally going to be living a nightmare. And I'm addicted to the sale. I'm addicted to growth, which has been a great thing. And it's also been a bad thing. Like I would sell one person, get the necessary stuff ready to go. And then I'd be off to the next thing. And again, it wasn't like I was just like getting them through the pipeline and not doing the work. It was just like, I would get all the work and then I would fulfill. And then I'd go back and get all the work and then I fulfill. Like it was just this up and down cycle that reflected in our our monthly reports, but that's how my mind was. And it's like, dude, you need to have everything structured. So I had convinced myself that I found this miraculous way of doing business and it was a nightmare. Well, I mean, he's telling a story that all of us actually go through. I remember I remember reading the book Traction like five or six years ago and be like, well, this book doesn't apply to me. I, don't even, I couldn't even get past chapter three. I was like, there's too many words. And then I remember in 2020 when I read Rocket Fuel, I'm like, nope, this is definitely the book. See, I had, I had to go through a lot more pain, right, because I read it too early. Uh, and I have a similar story to you. I'm like, yeah, like, this is way too many things to remember, way too many things to do. And I had a smaller team then, and I'm like, oh, no, I got this. And pain got a little bit more and more and more. And then once the pain finally soaked in, I was like, I was like living on every word of that book. And I was like, oh, I was like grasping for more of it. I'm grasping. I'm like, all right, I'll do anything. Let's install it. Let's install it. So it's uh, it's a similar story. We're both uh, stubborn, it sounds like, Adam. Yes, that is accurate. So do you find yourself getting bored? Because this is where I find, like, I find startup entrepreneurs, you know, they always want to chase the next thing. I mean, that doesn't go away. Uh, I don't care what the book tells you, you know, focus on one thing, do one thing really well. But for guys like us, that can sometimes be challenging. So how do you find new ways to keep yourself motivated, but also not drive the team crazy or start a bunch of stuff that you can't finish? Yeah. So I think my personal brand has been kind of like my, my next thing that I've been working on now for about a year and a half. All right. Separating that from the business um, is obviously the biggest challenge for entrepreneurs as well, especially in the online space with digital marketing. And so that's what I've been working on doing. But just things like the podcast, the YouTube channel, uh, I'm speaking at close to 15 events this year in person and online. And just seeing where that takes me and the opportunities that I've gotten. They've had a couple potential clients literally come to us and say, Adam, we want you to be an equity partner in our company because we're interested in, in blowing up the marketing space within our business. 
but we want you, right? Because obviously when they hire us on retainer right now, like they're not getting me. And so a lot of different opportunities in things like that are kind of presenting itself, which is awesome. So I like to keep my craziness in my projects separate from uh-huh. the business. So that way I'm not upsetting or, or pissing off the team because I've been there where I'm like, shiny object, shiny object, how can we implement this? I'm trying to segment the two things right now and, and be a little bit more structured in doing so. Yeah, that's that's good. It sounds like a similar path. You know, I started the BennyFisher.com thing, started a content company, doing some speaking like you are. Um, and definitely thought about, too, like, you know, I think, man, I'd be better as a CMO on most people's team for a small equity stake. Yeah. I'd rather own, I'd rather own 15 or 20% of like 10 companies, then try to have one company on my own by myself, you know what I mean? Where I can like, you know, do my superpower stuff, which I think is, you know, branding and customer service and developing, you know, the right people and getting the right people around you. And I think I'd be much better off on 10 people's teams than, you know, just going all in by myself all all the time. So, and uh, my team doesn't even, I don't think they even want me 100% of the time. They probably won't even listen to this, so I, I could probably get away with you know saying that because they're probably all busy working. While I'm you know just trying to keep myself busy and not starting too many things, so I feel like podcasting is a safe way to network, hang out with some people, you know, not uh, not getting into too much trouble. Um, how's podcasting been for you as far as meeting new people? Uh, it's been amazing, and, and even people like yourself that we've been connected, you know, online. You being on my podcast, me being on yours, like I just learn more things about every person that I've already been connected with for the most part. And then I'm now also interviewing guests and being on podcasts where I've never met the person, but maybe a 10 to 15 minute sync up before. And so just having the ability to meet new people, continuously learn, which is all, uh, you know, a trait that I think the most successful entrepreneurs have. It's just been a very amazing way. And I learn something every single time. And, uh, and also, obviously, consuming podcasting as well to try to figure out how to ask better questions, how to, how to navigate certain uh, things as both a, a guest on the episode as well as the host. Hmm. Yeah, I do a bad job with that. I need, I need, to, do, I need to do some more, uh, I guess, some more market research or market analysis on how I can be a better podcaster. But I and always figure... Great job. And you were... Yeah, well, I just figure, like, if, if I got to... I don't know. I just say whatever's on my mind. So that's like I've never been able to do that fully ever in my life until like now. Until like I have the I have my own keys and my own show, and I can do I can ask whatever I want. Like yeah. <laughs> I had one time. This is a guy that did this. It was kind of like a trade thing again. I didn't do this on purpose, but he wanted me to be on his show, and I usually say yes for the most part. But then he wanted to be on mine, and I was like, oh crap! I don't even know you. I said, but so we'll see how this goes. I said, are you sure you want to do this? And he's like, yeah. So we started, I, I drilled deep, you know, on some personal issues and stuff like that. And he starts talking to me and he was telling me about, a, he was telling me about his divorce. And I thought, you know, hey, he was used to talking about it. Next thing you know, after the show, he's like, he's like, I can't believe you got me to talk about my divorce. He's like, we got to edit that out. I said, whoa, 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 whoa. I said, we don't edit anything out here on the Big Fish Cares podcast. I said, if you want us to not put the episode out, that's fine. I said, but I'm not going to like, I'm not going to censor like yeah. stuff like I mean that's the whole reason I have a podcast is to like not have to have a censor you know um, but that's also another lesson in like you know you should really know your ideal you know person and <laughs> make sure that 
make sure that they really want to be a guest, you know, because, you know, maybe tell them some horror stories of, like, how I, you know, told you about some mommy and daddy issues when you're a kid or something like that, and then your mom's going to be listening. Hey, listen, this happens here on the Big Fish Cares podcast all the time. Yeah. Sometimes we go deep, right, and uh, try to figure out, like, where we all came from, right? Have you been on this, you know, you're, how old are you? You're, you seem like you're a little younger than me. 31. Yeah, you're way younger than me. You're 10 years younger than me. Wow, I wish I could be you. Man, 31 years. Woo! Man, I didn't even start sniffing. Man, that was good. 31. You got your whole life ahead of you. That's what I'm That's what I'm planning for. Dude, I want to be you when I grow up. Holy cow, <laughs> 31 years old, man. You, you, you're, you're good at this right time, too, in business, to where like, you know enough to be dangerous to be able to like compete with you know the 40-year-olds, right? Because like, I feel like my generation is in the best spot, right? We've had a lot enough old-school experience, new-school experience. We've got a lot of ups and downs. We, by the time you're 40, I feel like you've usually figured out somewhat your place in life. Mm-hmm. I know when I was 30, man, I don't. Shit, I still didn't know what I want to do. Do you know what you want to be when you grow up yet? I mean, I should probably ask you that question. Like, no. I mean, <laughs> where are you going to be at when I interview you 10 years from now? Where Where is Adam McChesney going to be? It's a great question. I so I was actually talking about this on another podcast earlier today. Is you know, digital marketing. I don't ever see myself needing a reason to get out of it because I own companies I've literally built just from digital marketing. So I think our agency is always going to be there. My opportunities, though, and where I want to be involved with is more of that outsourced chief marketing officer, getting equity, consulting for equity within companies, and having the small piece of you know ten to fifteen pies, and being that having my zone of genius as well as having a a platform to speak on stages. And so that's one of my big things is what I want to continue to do. And, and I think I can have the most impact. My, my purpose in life is to impact as many people as I possibly can, whether directly in their business or within their personal lives as well. So that's why I put out as much content as I do. That's why I go as hard as I, as I do. And, and I don't see that purpose ever changing. The deliverables of the day-to-day or the monthly projects, things like that, that might change over time. But that's what I'm committed to do. So you said something about Zona Genius. Did I hear that come out of your mouth? Yes. Tell me what that term refers to. So just where I operate at my best and what I'm spending my time on. And so I can't remember what book I read where they talk about Zona Genius, but it's basically where you are operating at your highest level and you are having the most enjoyment out of doing that and so finding specifically what makes me tick most and being successful in that moment uh and having the most fun doing that that's what i want to be doing man me and you're like we must be like brothers from another mother (laughs) and then you talk about speaking on stages how about this i so i just got back from ire which is the world's biggest international roofing show ever um, if you're not in the roofing industry, it doesn't mean much to you. But um, I, don't know, I feel like 20,000 people converged on Dallas last week. I had the opportunity, and if you know my story, this should have never happened. I was invited by the Fortune 500 company, Beacon Roofing, to like do a, a presentation with them, speak on stage with the VP of marketing. So there's the VP of this Fortune 500 company, and then there's good old Benny Fisher, college dropout, fucking two-time convicted felon, like all kinds of just weird crap that I have on my on my list of things. I don't really brag about all the bad stuff, right? But 
it's just crazy to me that like I ended up getting the same path like all my buddies that graduated college and went the corporate route took. Mm-hmm. Like I'm hanging out with these guys at the same level, you know what I mean? It's just a different path, right? Oh yeah. And I, and I think that it's uh, I don't know. I'd like to argue that my path has a lot more upside. <laughs> Eventually, you know, <laughs> a lot of a lot of those buddies that I have in college that from back in the early days that all went to college, you know, they got great gigs and they got great stuff, but it's more like they're in that whole day to that the whole day to day is the same, right? Like no matter what it is, it's like and. You can't create your own Disneyland. And we're guys like me and you're trying to create our own Disneyland. Yes, every day. So what do you think that you're going to do with this whole, like, so you got the personal brand, which I'm a big fan of, right? I'm a Gary V guy. I think Gary V is the one that set the bar for, like, personal brand and also being the CEO of companies. So I think guys like me and you are modeling that well. Speaking on stage is just another form of marketing for your own personal brand, right? Um where do you think that you'll see yourself? Do you think you're, you see yourself doing more of just keep marketing yourself? And then is that just to open up these other opportunities for these ownership equity deals, you know, down the road? Um, is that really just to play kind of a cat mouse game between that, right? Just more speaking on stages gives me more chances for more conversations. That's exactly it. And, and right now my personal brand is, Fortunately and unfortunately, one of the biggest funnel drivers for our marketing company. So that was why we had to split off my personal brand from the company. And I also hired a a sales girl that started almost a year ago. And so now people will reach out because they want us to do digital marketing. And in my DMs, I just turn it over and connect it with her. So that way I can get out of the picture uh, and let her do what she does and, and people are taken care of in a, in a much quicker manner in the right way. And so it allows me to be the authority in the space uh, that I built as well as continue to go do those things in that other direction because people see that I'm traveling, they see that I'm doing all these different things, they understand that it would physically be impossible for me to build their website, for me to manage their account, for me to change something in their strategy, but I also do a good job in uh, identifying how to tie my team into my content as well, making sure that people know the faces that are behind the scenes on everything, so that way, when I am like, hey, go talk to Demi or go talk to Emily or one of your account managers, they've been following my content for a while and they you know, already have been able to put a face to the name. Yeah, it's so good. Like, so that happened to me about three years after I started my own business. Um, the name of my company is the Big Fish Contracting Company. Obviously, I'm Benny Fisher, but like, I got a lot of that. Like, oh, I was the face of the roofing company and like, you know, customers would DM me. And then even after I got out of sales, I would still feel bad. Mm, like, yeah, I'd still, I'd still try to help the customer, but then I was the worst. Yeah. Like we're talking about delivering concierge service, like like Ben Fisher year one and year two is way different than Ben Fisher year seven and eight because Ben Fisher has two totally different roles now. Yeah, and that was a big shift. And I remember having my face like on a lot of the marketing materials. Like I would draw next to the cartoon fish, I'd have a cartoon face of me just because I know people buy off people they have no like and trust, right? And it worked really well. well. Then like I'm like, oh crap, like. Like, I have people, like, they'll always be calling me, and my team will never be able to flourish. Mm-hmm. So then I had to start peeling my face off of everything, which Catch-22 was good for me, personally. It You know, we didn't get as many leads, maybe as quite, and we're, like, now growing into this more mature company. But 
took a lot of stress off me and it empowered a lot of people and it creates a lot more um, employment opportunities and, and different uh, places on our leadership team for people to grow. So that's a good thing, I think. Yeah. I think the stress part is what I've noticed over the last really just three months. So I told myself in 2023, like, you're you're removing your like you've had Demi on board now for six months, but you know people would be like people a lot of times will be reaching out to me after we've already talked in the past, or they're finally like, hey Adam, I've been watching your content for six months now. I'm ready to sign up, and I would be like, oh, okay, this is an easy sale. Like I'm just gonna take it, and it it ruins the whole process. It yeah, ruins the thing that you've built. So so far this year. Like there's been more fluidity, more process and system on the sales side. We've not closed as much that we did this time or maybe even six months ago last year because we basically had two people selling. But it is better. It's more calculated and it's the right sales. But the stress is the biggest thing. I'm not sitting there. Oh, crap. Did I send that proposal? I told that guy. Did I send the follow up email after the call? Did I submit their proposal? Like all of that different stuff, it's now off of my hands, and that's yeah. the best thing ever. Well, I mean, CEO role and salespeople role, I mean, they're different names and different titles for a reason. They have different responsibilities, right? Mm -hmm. And if your role as a CEO is primarily like promoting you, your brand, your personal brand, your company's brand, and like that's your new job now, is like more like just drive both of those brands. Um, it's different than right having to remember to follow up with Mr. Jones. I mean, I, I think it's more so harder for us than it is harder for – we think that our customers are going to miss out. They don't care. They don't care. I, I realized they actually like it better when they know that Ben's sending a guy or Adam's sending a guy or a girl to, like, help them because they probably know that, like, it's actually going to get done at least. Mm -hmm. um, so, like, that's kind of cool. I do always hate, you know, especially in the local market. I know you're locally based uh, in St. Louis. I'm here in Pittsburgh. You know, our competitors have a leg up on us, you know, when they're the ones still out there on the street, you know, dealing with them. But, like, you know, it's one of those things you just have to trust the process, right? And what do you say to that, like, to, like, the up-and-coming young Adam McChesney that's trying to make a name for himself in the digital marketing space in St. Louis? You know, he's competing with you. You're competing with him. What do you say to that? So, and, you know, we can be with people all over and, and even here locally in St. Louis, like we'll lose out on business to the, to the guy that's running the agency that's doing everything. He'll be cheaper. He'll be quicker to get a website finished and he'll be the account manager through and through. And I was that guy two years ago. I can't compete with that anymore. I have too many things going on. I have too many other opportunities. And if I wanted to go be that guy, I wouldn't have built what I built. And also every time we cater to those clients where it's like, hey, if I could just get a little bit of added time, I'll sign up. They end up being the worst clients. They end up being the biggest pains for my team. And they're also looking for a discount or a deal or something that just we don't need to offer at this point. One of my biggest, and I realized this uh, right before I decided to quit drinking alcohol, one of the biggest uh, reasons why we were so successful early on, which became a detriment last year, is I started thinking like a seven-figure agency owner. Within the digital marketing space, there's actually not a lot of people that truly do that, in the online space specifically. I started thinking about that when I started this business back in July 2020. So I was way ahead of the game. I was doing things that I shouldn't have, or most people, I guess, just aren't doing. But once we hit seven figures about a year and a half ago, I kind of just had that one seven-figure mindset. And it coasted me for another year and I just kind of let everything go. I let myself go. 
business was still fine because we had a team, you know, everything was good, but I was just coasting through life. And then I realized I need to, to start thinking like a multi seven figure agency owner. And I need to have that next plateau, that next base camp, that next thing that we're going after because I'm not the same guy that we started, but it, it helped me in the beginning. But now I got to reach that new level. Well, yeah, I mean, your world too. It's even a little bit different than my world. Selling marketing services, you know, you're that's month. You know, it's they're they're paying every month, right? You know, yeah. where like you know, I'm transactional. You know, if somebody buys a, a roof job off me, I'm probably not going to see them for a while. So mm-hmm. I can definitely see where it gets a little bit more kind of easy to get complacent. Mm-hmm. You know, when those orders are coming through. The only time you get upset is when somebody either leaves you. Or yep. you sell another big deal, right? And like you know, yep. those are few and far between, and it doesn't hit that same dopamine, right? That 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 young startup Adam needs to hit, right? To keep himself <laughs> keep himself fired up. Tell me when I'm wrong, Adam. You're you're right. That's a hundred percent right. So if we can get you on a couple more stages, get a couple more podcast guests, that keeps that that keeps you firing on happy cylinders. It keeps your team happy that they get to manage their existing clients, right? Get a couple, they get a couple wins here and there with new business. I think that's good. So, tell me when it's when are you going to start having that eight figure mindset for for these digital? I don't know what it, when you guys figure digital marketing is that just your service fee or does that include the customers' ad spend too? So, for a lot of agencies, they're putting both in. Oh in, yeah, oh yeah. Anything they can do to get like five figure agency, you know, ten figure this. That that's exactly right. So I did it. I did true seven figures in, in our first 15 months. So that is seven figures of just our fees. I don't want to be a eight-figure digital marketing agency. I have no no interest in doing that. But it's about being multi-seven figures, which we'll do this year. And it's about being, I think the biggest I want to get it is about $5 million. Um, So we'll do about two and a half this year. So over the next three years to get to that $5 million mark is our goal. But again, it becomes at what point are we bringing on other opportunities that funnel through? So those Mm -hmm. deals, those other types of things, I'm thinking at that point, how do I be an eight-figure company worth earner? How do how do bring in there versus just thinking about the agency and that pie and that revenue? Because again, it's that small thinking versus dreaming bigger and seeing what else is out there. Yeah, because you can definitely um, just definitely have, you know, less clients you can have at five million. You could like just pick you know, you could be pickier, right? You yeah. just have the the cool ones. You can only wait for like you know Nike to come by and be like, hey man, yeah, you know I want I want Adam to do all my digital marketing. So that's yeah. cool. That's cool. What uh, what do you do for fun, man? Nowadays that you like you know you're this sophisticated business person. You got got a good head on your shoulders. You quit drinking. Like, what do you do for fun when you're not figuring out how to grow your business? So I'm training to run right now. So I got a 10K coming up. Going to do a half marathon this year as well. Um, In addition to that, I love golfing, uh, although I don't play as much as I would like to. I played a lot when I was in medical device sales, and now I don't. (laughs) Yeah. Um, You'll never go. go, If you're a true entrepreneur, you you won't have time for the golf course. I haven't had it much, but um, and then also traveling. So I travel quite a bit. I try to uh, travel as much as I possibly can, both work and um, have tied work stuff into also doing vacations. So I'm heading to, to Nicaragua uh, next week, Costa Rica in a couple months, and uh, excited about it. So I love doing that. 
So that's cool. Is it uh, is the Costa Rica Nicaragua? Is that just completely like personal, or did you find a speaking engagement down there that you're able to go to and then turn it into a vacation? Yeah. So I'm speaking in Costa Rica. Actually, that's cool. Uh, that we're turning into uh, a vacation. So it's a, an all-inclusive resort. Speaking at a marketing conference there. And then uh, for Nicaragua, uh, our part of our team is down there. So we have an office down there, and then we're turning it into a vacation as well. So some of the top franchisees are going to a private island for a couple days next week. That sounds like my type of life, buddy. If you know anybody <laughs> else looking for any of those speakers in Costa Rica, just let me know. <laughs> I definitely will. I definitely, definitely got to get out of the, the roofing industry and get shifted back more into where I'm feel more at home and that's definitely in the marketing world so absolutely it's definitely coming that way there's five questions that i ask every guest kind of rapid fire imagine that you're by yourself and you have to go away to this island you're gonna be completely alone uh what book are you gonna take with you what book am i gonna take with me um man that's a it's a tough question i think the book is uh gonna be winning by tim grover all right and then what about uh, you're allowed to take, uh, you're allowed to build one restaurant on this island. It could be something like somebody that everybody would know, something only you might know. It could be a place in your backyard. It could be a place that you saw on vacation. So there's a, a local restaurant here called Bartolino's. It's an Italian spot. Love Italian food. Bartolino's, St. Louis. Going to have to check that out. Uh, and then you are, let's see, let's see a book. Uh, what movie are you going to take with you? Movie, 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 movie. That will be Moneyball. Ooh, I like that one. Yeah, that's good. Why do you like Moneyball so much? I love sports and I love the business side of sports and obviously now being an entrepreneur and just kind of watching the movie. I watch that movie probably once or twice a year and just see it from different angles every time. Yep, now we talk about Moneyball a lot in our company. We're trying to figure out how to always optimize all the different departments, and uh, it's all about more base hits and walks. Fascinating. Less, less about the home run. All mm. right, you're allowed to take one trip. You can go anywhere in the world that you want to go to for a week. Where are you going to go? Bora Bora. Bora Bora. Have you ever been there? I haven't. It's on the bucket list. Maybe we can get a speaking engagement there. See, if, yeah. see maybe if they're asking for another guy, too. We could be like, you know, <laughs> like a two-for-one special or something like that. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah. That sounds like a good spot. Uh, and then the last question, you could spend 24 hours with somebody on Earth. It could be somebody famous. It could be a celebrity. It could be somebody that only you know. Uh, who would you want to spend 24 hours with and pick their brain? Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan. Wow, how about that? I feel like that could be possible. Um... What would you talk to him about? Just his mindset and what, like how he viewed winning, I, I think is just fascinating. So I'm a big Tim Grover fan, love have reading, reading his books and obviously listening to him on podcasts. But, man, the, the way that Michael Jordan went about winning and his relentlessness and just everything that went into it is just fascinating to me. Well, and you're young, too, so like that's the thing. Like, you, like... I grew up with Michael Jordan, so like you know, I started watching sports when Michael Jordan was peaking. I didn't um, even realize he's. In, you got a. Oh yeah, I got a. I got a Jordan painting there. Check this out. I got. I got. I got that thing. The oversized rookie card signed by Jordan. Oh wow! I got. I got, uh, I got a Jordan uh, out in my living room. I have a, a slam dunk thing signed by him. I got a jersey in my office signed. I'm a. Uh, I'm a Jordan. I got. Check out these. I got these big fish. 
Black and yellow. Ah. Air Force Ones. Oh, yeah. There you go. Don't get me started on Michael Jordan. So hot for you, though, like being younger. I mean, and did you grow up in St. Louis? Have you been in St. Louis your whole life? Yes. I mean, there's, is there a basketball town out there? No. No. Chicago's the closest. I guess, yeah. So, like, I mean, why Michael? Why not Kobe? Why not LeBron? Like, tell me, because, like, like, you're more of a Kobe. Like, you're Kobe Bryant or LeBron would be, like, your generation. I think it's more so of just, like, understanding, like, true mindset behind it. Oh, yeah. Everything. Oh, I'm with you. I think that you have yeah. the right pick. I just yeah. trying to understand. Like, it's very rare that these 30, you, know, you young guys appreciate Michael the way I appreciate Michael. And I think that's what it is, too, because I never truly, like, saw it or understood it in the moment. Uh, yeah. Never there, right? So it's, mm-hmm. what would that be to go back and... Because I, I still remember watching him even when he was, like, doing his whatever with the yeah, Wizards. Yeah, like the Wizards. Yeah, but, sure. That, that, like, that doesn't so I count. I remember hearing about, like, okay, you should have seen him. Like, you know, yeah. so I think for me it's, it's like, what didn't I see and, and what didn't I understand? That that fascinates me. Did you watch the uh, the documentary? I um, did. On Netflix, The Last Dance? <laughs> Yep, love that one. That was a cool. That was that was awesome. That's why I have video guys following me around everywhere now. Because I'm thinking 20 years from now, yeah, maybe we'll just make documentary. Now we can have self self published documentary. You know, so yeah. oh yeah, I love the book Relentless too. I haven't read Winning. Um, it's definitely on my list. But yeah, Relentless is one of my favorite books where they talk about closers, coolers, and cleaners. Yeah, right. Cleaner. Cool. Yeah, coolers, closers, cleaners. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Good deal, man. Is there uh, where's the best place for people to get a hold of you at? Yeah, so you can go to adammcchesney.com and then on Instagram it's Adam L. McChesney. There we go. Just here's a fun fact for you. When I got my fake ID, um, I had to come up with a name, and my last name was Chesney. So it wasn't it wasn't Mick Chesney, which sounds like it would even be a cooler name for a fake ID now. <laughs> my, my first name it was Chip Chesney. Uh, I think I just ripped it off from Kenny Chesney, and I like I forget how that all came up, but uh, that's just a funny, fascinating thing. I remember my mom found that fake ID, and then she hid it from me, and then she gave it back to me, and like uh, my twenty-first birthday, like she put it in a card, <laughs> and I was like, "You had it the whole time. I thought I lost it." <laughs> she must wow. have found she must have found it in like the laundry or something. Yeah, you know? just amazing. Well, listen, I really appreciate you being on the show today. Um, it's been fun getting to know you. Hopefully I get to, hopefully I can hang out with you in your, in your world rather than you have to come into my world. I'd much rather go into that marketing world more than the, than the roofing world. So uh, let me know if there's any opportunities along the horizon, and uh, yeah. hopefully we run into each other in person soon, all right? Of course, man. Thanks for having me. All right, man. See you. See ya. Thank you for listening to the Big Fish Cares Podcast. It's our passion to help share stories and journeys, to help inspire optimism, to take action and accomplish your goals. Make sure to like, rate, and review the show. And we'll be back soon. But in the meantime, hook up with us on the website at www.thebigfishcares.com. Find us on Facebook at The Big Fish Cares and on Instagram at bigfish.benny. See you next time.